Ah, this is the Sports Report. Wherever you may be listening and however you may be listening, thanks for making us a part of your day. Live on a beautiful Monday morning from sunny San Luis Obispo, California. What a weekend. What a weekend. I'm here with my co-host, Dan Dempster. We're going to be getting into all things uh, Cal Poly sports right now. What a weekend for the Mustangs with Cal Poly men's soccer taking the 1-0 win over number 6 UCLA. And then also the Mustangs defeating number 6 Montana, 42-41. I want to get into this, though. Justin Dillon, who's absolutely... uh, the offensive force on the Mustangs. He scored six of the seven past goals for the team, six of the seven goals this season. And I'm just wondering how sustainable is this? You know, they've hardly scored the season compared to last season. And now they get the one Oh, win over number six UCLA, but all their offensive weaponry is really just coming from Justin. So I think a question going forward for the team is, you know, Will Justin keep putting the team on his back, or will we get some more offense from other players on the team? And I'm going to ask Justin that question later on today when he's on the show. Um, Dan, I know you were at the football game and you watched that. Uh, what were your thoughts on the football match? Well, Matt, it was a, it was definitely a shootout. 42-41, Cal Poly with the win. Um, over 400 total yards for both teams in the game. You see, um, you know, it was definitely a shootout with Montana just throwing the ball at will, shredding up Cal Poly's secondary. But you know what? Cal Poly's defense made stops when they needed to. They made turnovers. In the second quarter, they got two turnovers um, inside Montana territory, got 14 points off those two turnovers, got a commanding lead, and they held on to that lead to eventually win the game. But... What really stands out to me is how potent Cal Poly's offense actually is. They're leading the FCS in rush yards per game with 362 yards per game. Joe Prothrow leading the FCS in rushing yards, 557 yards total. It's just amazing what this offense can do with this triple option attack. Um, You know, 274 rushing yards this game and... When that fails, they can look to this new quarterback, Dano Graves, to make some big pass plays. 15.7 um, yards per attempt. Um, it's really amazing what they can do. He has no interceptions. Very efficient on offense. Um, and yeah, so I think I think it's interesting. We got you know we got Dano. We got Joe Prothrow, and they're all they're all some interesting guys. You know, Joe's got kids, and he's just our age, which I think is so fascinating. And then Dano, you know, was a great pocket passer at Folsom High, and now he's coming over to our team, and he's had to adapt. I think we'll definitely want to have him on the show later, uh, maybe next week, to have him talk about how he's adapted to this triple threat option. And, you know, the triple threat option isn't something a lot of fans see Nowadays, it's much more common in college, obviously not a thing in the pros. But then you have Tim, Tim Walsh, uh, the head coach who actually was at Army. uh, And that's where he kind of got his start with the triple threat. Can you explain that for us? Yeah. Well, traditionally, these military academy schools, Army, Navy, Air Force, you know, they run uh, often a triple option. They've been doing it forever back in the early history of college football, these teams were the dominant teams. You know, that Army-Navy game they always look to at the end of the year, and it's still a huge uh, part of this college football tradition. And, you know, at Cal Poly, it's really interesting to see as they're playing in the FCS, you know, it's kind of died out in the FBS with the top teams. Uh, defenses can really key in and... Uh, just play good man defense and, you know, take their assignments and they got a lot more speed. But this FCS level, it really changes it. Dano Graves can take the ball and, you know, he's got got all these options. He can, first he can run it, uh, just give it to his fullback. You can give it to pro throw. You can bounce it out to the outside if defense bites in and he can use his speed to kill defenses on the edge um and you know 
What's really different this year, I think, for Cal Poly is Daniel Graves' passing ability. He can throw the ball downfield. He can step back yeah, and just yeah. sling it. And, you know, if that running attack fails, they always got him. He had three passing touchdowns um, against Montana. Two of them were at least 40 yards plus. It was amazing to see what he could do. And, you know, he can still get 100 yards rushing in a game. Yeah. Which he did against Nevada earlier in the year. Yeah, it's fascinating because I'm thinking while you're talking about this how a lot of the football team, you know, I'm, I'm just coming back to this, is it's Tim Walsh's system. It's the triple threat. It's every year Cal Poly leads the league in rushing. Every year they lead the FCS in rushing per game. And then I'm coming back and contrasting this with men's soccer because with men's soccer, you think about last year's team, whether it be with Matt LaGrossa or all these other guys in the MLS, Wade, Wade Graves, and of course, um, you know, all of our other strikers. So, I mean, you, when you think about that team, that team was a team that was a possession team on offense. And now this year, when you come watch men's soccer, it's Justin, our best forward, up on an island, and he's just waiting there to, you know, they try to feed him. He's got that extra gear of speed, uh, and he's got those that long stride where he can finish. He can finish. He's big. He's tall. He's like 6'5". And then I contrast that with the... Uh, football team where the football team is really, you know, I think a product of Tim Walsh's system. You know, it's one running back in, one running back out. Um, one quarterback in, one cornerback out. Obviously with uh, Dano, there's a little bit more passing opportunity than there was with uh, Chris last year. But, you know, I think that's an interesting point of contrast. Yeah, you know, um, I think Cal Poly's really opening up their offense. They're getting a lot of guys um involved really they're getting a lot of different guys carries and that's what happens when you run a triple option you got you gotta read the defense which is dano graves's job um you either bring it inside with an inside run or like i said you pitch it into the outside and play with your speed and there's a bunch of different players that can you know run those different options those different lines and depending on what the defense gives you um Anyone can make a play on any given play. And I think Cal Poly is doing a really good job with that. And they're centering it around pro throw and graves right now. Right. I mean, it's so good to see both of these programs, uh, you know, for it's kind of been a switch this year. You know, men's or football has gotten those big wins that they didn't get last year. It was those close losses to Montana, those close losses to South Dakota State last year. And this year for men's soccer, it's the opposite. Men's soccer is, this is their first, uh, you know, preseason uh, losing record in quite some time. You know, they're 2-4-1 right now. They had tough losses early in the year to number one Stanford, number eight North Carolina over on the East Coast at Wake Forest as well on the East Coast. Those are the number eight and number five teams in the country, respectively. And then, you know, a loss to number 22, New Mexico, tie of San Diego State, and then they just got their big win over number six, UCLA. So I think, you know, it's a, it's, it's a complete flip-flop from last year where, you know, men's fo- or football was on the out and outside looking in get uh, with those, you know, one-point losses last year. And this year, they're coming away with those, whether it be on the road or at home. And it's good to see them finally get over the hump against Montana. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with all things uh, NFL. We're going to have a little baseball segment, talk Dodgers clinching. Um, so stay tuned. This is the Sports Report. All right, we are back live from the KCPR studio in San Luis Obispo. I'm your host, Matt Kreiser, alongside my co-host, Dan Dempster. Dan, the Steelers were awful on Sunday, 34-3, to getting beat by the Eagles, and Carson Wentz looks great. You know, I had the Steelers at number one in my power rankings, had Eagles around the 7-8 to eight position. You know, I might as well just flip them and drop the Steelers out of the top 10. Um, their worst loss since 1997. I mean, there were a lot of surprises this weekend, Dan. Yeah, you know, I'm a. I'm surprised that the Steelers did so poorly, but b. I'm really surprised that the Eagles did so well with Carson Wentz at the helm. You know, they've been a complete surprise this season, turned things completely around from last season. But you know, I'm coming back to the Steelers. You know, they've been playing great the past couple of weeks. D'Angelo Williams still running tough. You know. 
they're going to have Le'Veon back next week. That's going to be work great for the running depth. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is still an elite quarterback. He still makes great plays. Um, and they still have great weapons on the outside, like Antonio Brown, probably one of the best in the NFL right now. So, you know, I think it's a little too early to put, um, you know, make predictions for any team really, but, you know, the Steelers are going to have to bounce back next week. Yeah, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. we got to go back to Thursday. The Patriots dominating the Texans 27-0 with Jacoby Brissett. And Brissett played through some of the game with a thumb injury, and he might not even play next week. I mean, Coach Coach Rex Ryan's going around saying, you know, they might have they might have uh, Bill Belichick at quarterback. I mean, it's unbelievable what the Patriots have done. J.J. Watt, I don't think he even ever has has a sack all time against the Patriots when they've played. They're, they're so well coached. Um, is Brady going to be back next year if Jimmy plays well? And he is healthy. Well, I think Brady's still an elite quarterback. You got to give it to him. You know, what I was thinking is after this season, Garoppolo, Brissett, they're both doing pretty well, but Garoppolo especially. You know, when Brady went down with that knee injury, I don't know how many years ago, and Matt Castle stepped up. And he played well. He showed himself well in a Patriots uniform, but once he gets shipped somewhere else, he just kind of falls off the map. And... I just kind of wonder if that's what would happen to Jimmy Garoppolo with yeah, Belichick. Yeah, just like Matt Castle, right? Yeah, you know, Bill Belichick is just such a great coach. I think, you know, whoever he has um, under center, he's probably going to do pretty well. Yeah, it's the culture. It's the culture that the Patriots have created. Mm-hmm. You know, just to be drafted by the Patriots, you have to be a certain type of player. Definitely. You know, they've only taken a few, like, kind of, Kind of lo- kind of guys with a few screws loose, you know. They've got maybe one or two with screws loose. You know, they can live with Gronk, you know, and he's even become more of a settled down guy from when he first came into the league. And Legarrette mm-hmm. Blunt, you know, he's a wild card. But like besides that, you know, it's a bunch of guys coming coming with their shirts tucked in and their suits buttoned up. So I think the Patriots really it's a culture it's a culture they've created with Coach. You know, with Coach Belichick and Brady at the helm for so many years. You know, I want to get to this. What's a bigger surprise? Vikings beating the Panthers. Cam having not a great game. Redskins beating the Giants. Or is it the Bills just taking down the Cardinals, who are so many uh, people's favorite in uh, to be a Super Bowl contender this year? Or, like we talked about earlier, the Steelers. You know, what's... What what stood out to you? For me, it was the Bills. I was I wasn't. I mean, the Eagles were strong. The Bills. The Bills. The Bills. Yeah, you know, Tyrod Taylor. You wouldn't expect him to be so effective, um, leading that offense. But you know, he's done really well. But you know, I think the big surprise for me for these first few weeks of the season has been the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I'm just I can't believe they beat. They just beat the Panthers. Um, I mean, everybody dominated started, the Panthers. There's eight dominated. sacks on Cam Newton. Three interceptions. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Um, you know, everybody started counting them out uh, right after Teddy Bridgewater went down with that um, horrific uh, knee injury. Uh, it was awful. Terrible. Scary. Yeah. A guys, guys almost threw up on the practice. Terrible. Okay, we'll keep going. Yeah, but also. Um, building off that, Adrian Peterson also out for the season. He hasn't really, he didn't really do too much in his first few games, but you know. Yeah, but McKinnon didn't do much yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing how they're pulling out wins. I think it's this defense. Yeah, it's really this defense that has been keeping them in the game. They got, you know, playing the Titans first week. They, I think they had two defensive touchdowns easily, and you know they're just. Playing to win right there. They have nothing to lose, and they're just going for it. I love it. So the Seahawks, I can't figure out this Seahawks game. A 9-3 to loss last week against Los Angeles in Los Angeles' home opener. And then a dominating win against the Niners, 37-18. All of a sudden, Jimmy Graham's getting involved. Got right. a touchdown, a bunch of points on fantasy. Russell's throwing the ball again. He's really limited with his injuries, but... 
I don't know what to make of this team. Yeah, you know, they didn't... First week, they did not show well against a pretty poor, mediocre Miami team. Uh, did not show any signs of offense against the Rams last week. But, you know, they really bounced back and really threw something at the 49ers. I feel like the Niners are one of those teams that the Seahawks do not want to play terribly against. And, you know, they really showed the weaknesses of the Niners. But... um Looking forward, I think it'll be interesting to see how Russell Wilson b- bounces back from now a knee sprain after um, injuring his ankle. Um, they have Trevon Boykin, rookie out of TCU. Who yeah, came I in saw that and, yesterday. Yeah, he came in and did did all right. Yeah, I was surprised he's there as the backup to Russell, but it does make sense to have that dual threat quarterback. Something that, you know, two things yesterday that stood out to me in the late games. One, the Chargers. They're a team that's put up a lot of offense the whole year, and I've been impressed by the offense. I've been excited about Melvin Gordon. Yeah. I was excited about Danny Woodhead before he went down, right. and they absolutely dominated Jacksonville last week, You know, crushing them by 30 mm-hmm. points. They should have beat Kansas City in Week 1. Now they lose to the Colts on a back-breaking play to T.Y. Hilton last, uh, uh, you know, at the last second yesterday, and... I just see this Chargers season slipping away. This team looks like it has a lot of talent compared to the team last year. You know, the Chargers just cannot get a break this season. Uh, they were looking great that first half against the Chiefs. And you have Keaton Allen, top wide receiver. One of the really stepping into his game. And I think this is his third year now, or would have been his third year. Fortunately, also a knee injury for him. But... Man, they have such talent. They have Philip Rivers, who's still still throwing the ball, still doing well. Melvin Gordon, who's had kind of a lackluster season last year, but he's starting to find the end zone now, really starting to step into his NFL game. You know, it's going to be hard for the Chargers. They got uh, Broncos, who are surprisingly playing pretty well. Oh, Trevor and Simeon. Trevor Simeon. Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Who... Who's this kid? Over 300 passing yards. At, at least yesterday, he was the number one QB in fantasy. I don't know if that changed with the late night game, but it's impressive. Yeah, and he's playing against playoff teams. Bengals, they're always playoff contenders. You know, he's looking good. And, you know, I, I was kind of thinking this at the beginning of the season. Even their offense, the Broncos, they weren't that potent last year. They had, sure, they have C.J. Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas. Who are all good players, but Peyton Manning wasn't himself last year. No. And they still, I think it's that defense that they really ride. Um, you know, they just shut down the Bengals in that last quarter. And, you know, Simeon does enough to win. Yeah. And that's one thing to not take too much stock in these early season games because you look at that's what Denver true. did last year. You know, they had a lot of weird, low scoring games. Yeah. Like you didn't know what Denver was. Mm-hmm. And then they came. Hit it strong. Finish the year great. And, like, that's why I'm still high on Carolina. They have so much talent. They're kind of beat up. You know, Kelvin Benjamin is not in rhythm. Had zero catches for zero yards yesterday. So I think there's a lot to look forward to there. I mean, the late games last afternoon. Chiefs. Chiefs dominating the Jets. Six interceptions. Oh, my gosh. Eight turnovers. Great fantasy play. Oh, my goodness. My best friend left the Chiefs defense on the bench. That cost him, Good cost thing him I his matchup. Him. I mean, but. let's get into fantasy. I mean, for one, you have this Chiefs defense. Ah, we got to stay with the Jets and Chiefs. I got to talk about this. I mean, every 20 minutes I'm watching Red Zone with my friends, and it it's, it's the Jets in the Red Zone. They toss a pick to the safety, you know, some safety on Kansas City, and he takes a knee. Or and there were a couple back for a touchdown, too. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then you got the Rams offense here in these late games. You know, they put up more touchdowns than they put up uh, past two games. The, the past three games, uh, inclu- all the way going back to last yeah. season. So a lot going on, a lot going on. And then the Redskins beating the Giants. I thought that was interesting. The NFC East is exciting this year. It's strong. It's strong with the Eagles. It's the Redskins, you know, are still in it now. They look yeah, pretty now bad. Yeah, the win. Um, and then you've got Dallas with Dak, and everyone's excited about Dak. Dak and Zeke, man. Two rookie uh, rookies just heading that offense 
doing really well. The last mm-hmm. rookie QB and halfback combo was Roger Staubach and I think Calvin Hill back in the 60s, way back in the day. So, you know, they got some young faces on that offense. And, you know, with the help of some older guys, Jason Witten, Des Bryant, um, even Beasley is doing pretty well. I think they could do really well. And it, Dak is kind of making his case to keep his starting position because, you know, Tony Romo hasn't yeah, but injured. and I, I don't know. I've been listening to the talk radio shows. And just the other day, you know, uh, Jerry Jones was on the herd with Colin Coward. And he said, oh, Tony's Tony's going to be the guy. I don't, I don't know. You never know with Jerry. You know, well, I know Dallas loves Tony and everything he's done. I just think it might just, be time for him to move on. Um, the injuries. You, know, you just think you think it's time to cut the cord. You I know, just, sometimes if I, was has, own, if I was owner or GM of that team, I would I would just hold my breath every time Tony Romo gets hit. I just I don't know. Causes a lot of uncertainty. It does, but you know, it is very helpful that they have Dak Prescott now behind them, and him just taking the reins for these first few games. You know, they didn't. Uh, when their first game of the season against the Giants. But, yeah, coming back to this, the whole NFC East picture, got Philadelphia. I've, I'm really liking this Philadelphia They looked team. fast yesterday. They looked they look fast. fast. They look fast. They just look like a powerful team. Carson Wentz is <laughs> looking like rookie of the year over here. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, I think if Dak does keep playing well, it would be hard to bring Tony back in. It, it's a similar, it kind of has the feel, you know, I think back to the Niners when mm-hmm. when Colin Kaepernick had the hot hand. Yeah. And now Dak has the hot hand. How far can you ride that? So speaking of people who, you know, have been cut less miles out at LSU, it was a weird weekend in college football. You know, a lot of traditional powers are struggling. LSU... USC's awful. USC. Well, they've kind of had a you know, hard uh first few games to open with, you know, going playing Alabama first week. Yeah, That's but you nice. have to now. Everyone's doing those big season openers. This is true. They this have is to true. show up. They do have to show up. And you know, looking at this Pac twelve South, it's really interesting. You got Utah who's ranked uh four and undefeated, uh looking to take control of that Pac twelve South. UCLA coming pretty close with Stanford. Yeah, but, UCLA's always but, like that. They're yeah. always, they're always, uh. You know, UCLA, they, I think. Josh Rosen, though. Josh Rosen looks good, pick. but, you know, I think he needs to make uh, big plays when they count. I don't think, looking back to that um, early season non conference game against uh, Texas AM, he did not make the plays when he needed to on the road and ended up losing in overtime, I believe. Um, you know, but yeah, back to this Pac-12 South, it's really open. Arizona played well against Washington, a good Washington team. Um, Arizona State won against Cal, but yeah, we'll see. It's always, it's always, you never know what's going to happen in there. It can flip at any time. Yes, Colorado. Colorado That was great. I was excited to see that. So the North's also really interesting. So, you know. Saturday was interesting. You know, we're busy. We're college students. We don't have time all day to prep like these guys who have these nationally syndicated shows. So I'm sitting there. I'm doing some studying, some uh, work at my desk, and then I'm checking scores on ESPN, and I see, wow, LSU's got the ball at the 20. They're in the red zone. They can drive. They can save less miles season. I got excited. I got my watch ESPN app going, and I took a look at what was going on, and uh, here's what it sounded like. LSU's got to get up there quickly and be ready to snap. Edling's got to throw it into the end zone. Caught, but touchdown! You've got to be kidding me! The Tigers roar real late! Ball game! But it wasn't the ball game. It was actually overturned you know they had to look at this a couple of times but lsu did not get the snap off in time and i was actually shocked watching the game because the broadcasters while everyone was sitting around uh to see 
what happened on the play before there was a penalty that gave uh, LSU one last chance. And but there's going to be after the penalty, the clock's going to start running again. That's how the rule works in the NCAA football. So LSU's just standing around and the broadcasters, the broadcasters know this. The broadcasters go, they need to be set at the line, ready to go when the ref blows his whistle. And they're not set. And they didn't get that snap off in time. And that's coaching. And I think that kind of epitomizes what happened to Les Miles here is his team had the talent. But where's the coaching there? Why aren't they ready to snap that ball? If the broadcasters know it, Les Miles of all people should know it. He's an all-time college coach. What's going on? I think it's just time for him to move on. I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, you know... LSU has been just kind of, you know, haphazard. They're, they're looking, they, everybody with this program, fans, all the LSU fans, they just want to get back to 2011 when they got to that BCS national championship. They went 12, 13 and 0, actually, and lost in that last game to Bama. But, you know, these past couple seasons, they dropped, what, they, Posted nine and three last season after a seven and zero start. They lost three in a row there near the end, and you just feel like, you know, with all these ta- all these talented recruits they're getting, it's they should be doing something good. They got Leonard Fournette, who should be just running over everybody, but he's not. And the offense is what's what really doomed Les Miles, I think, you know, you saw in that last drive, they just did not manage the clock well. And um, with all these talented recruits, all this talent they're getting, they still could not put any offense up against Auburn. Yeah, they, it's almost a refusal to adapt. I mean, think about exactly. it. Think about it. Their offense almost looks like Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's one of those teams that runs the ball every play, similar to a Cal Poly. You're not going to win a national championship that way. I mean, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's a very tough school to get into. It's great what they do. They've had some great players like Calvin. But LSU's LSU. They're a powerhouse. Why haven't they adapted to at least get that deep threat down the field and consistent play at quarterback? Uh, You know, I I, I really don't know. I think that's part of Les Miles' undoing. I, I agree. Uh, you know, it's pretty it's pretty amazing how they're able to do so well for so long, this LSU team. Les Miles still had 11 straight eight-win seasons. This is good, good standard for any program. Oh, yeah, it was Seven, consistent. Yeah, he had a 770 win percentage, um, first in program history over Nick Saban. But this 2-2 two and two start, they lost to Wisconsin in Lambeau Field. They... Did not show well against an F- FCS opponent. Um, did not show well against a very, very poor-looking Mississippi State team. Barely eking out a win there. And now this loss to Auburn, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, and sometimes you just need a fresh start. I'm looking at the computer right here in Michigan. Blew out Penn State 49-10. to 10. You know, Jim Harbaugh, he needed a fresh start. He couldn't get anything going. and he He's great in San Francisco. He kills it with Colin Kaepernick. But then he's one of those coaches who starts to wear you out and didn't get along with the GM, Jed York, mm-hmm. and didn't get along with the front office. And so he's gone, and he's at Michigan. Boom. They're a powerhouse again, number four in the country. And I think that's what Les Miles might need. He might need a fresh start. You know, when you get, you get, you know, I, I always think of this with some of my friends who stay back at home and never moved out of their hometown. Like, you can just get caught in... Just the everyday, nothing's changing. Things get monotonous. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you need a change of scenery and you need a new start. And to bring out that uh, creative, you know, workability of some of these top coaches. So that's my thought. Uh, we're out of time for this segment. Uh, stay tuned. This is the Sports Report.
Well, he's one of the most dynamic players in college soccer and certainly the offensive bedrock of this Cal Poly men's soccer team. Joining us now is Cal Poly forward Justin Dillon. Justin, you've scored five of the team's six goals through seven games played. We were just talking earlier about the beautiful volley you had in the 10th against uh, UCLA on Friday. So I got to ask you, do you feel that that level of scoring is sustainable for you? Like, can the team rely on you to put up that performance week in and week out? I'd like to think so, but I mean, I'm sure, like, realistically, going into the next couple games, um, I mean, I don't want to sound, like, ahead of myself, but I'm sure scouts are going to be maybe, like, saying, like, trying to keep an extra person on me or, like, around our offense in that way. So hopefully, if it's not me scoring, I'm at least helping someone else by opening up play or setting them up in any way. You know, the popularity of the team has been great. 7,032 in attendance against UCLA on Friday. That's the largest, the third largest crowd in the nation this year. You know, I think everyone who watched last season's team noticed notices how different this team is in this offense is. You know, there's no more Matt LaGrasa, no more Chase Minter. Just how much does the playing style of teams you play on change with the different chemistry of the team, the different talent and strengths and weaknesses of the players on the field? Yeah, I mean, last year, I mean, this is a huge change. Last year, we were actually playing in a different formation, a 4-3-3, and because of the new freshmen uh, and the personnel we have this year, our strongest suit is a 4-4-2, and just that two forward up top is really allowing, I think, us to have the attacks this year that, you know, without Chase and Matt would have been a little bit difficult in a 4-3-3. Listen, I think we can agree Coach Sampson, you know, coming in changed everything for this program. One of the things that was a little bit different this year is big early season tests away at Wake Forest and away at North Carolina. Uh, How has the team handled that? You know, the, the slow start to the season, you know, you just got your first big win. I mean, we knew... When we saw the original schedule, we're like, wow, we're going to be playing. I mean, UNC is arguably going to be in the Final Four, and Wake Forest is obviously a huge contender. And then just to stay on the road from, like, a playing condition and that humidity to go to elevation and just play Air Force and New Mexico, both, like, you know, decent teams. And I think New Mexico proved to be pretty talented. And, I mean, it was really tough. I mean, we were exhausted after that. I know a lot of the guys were a little bit morale low, but coming home immediately and just picking up that first win and continuing the unbeaten streak at home, I think that's really like been the big, uh, big confidence for us, and that's all we needed was a little bit of a spark to regain that, and we're really looking forward to the rest and confidence to come. Yeah, I think the strength of schedule is a big thing this year. Like Just seeing like even New Mexico at number 22 right now, so... You know, when I watch great forwards, I think about players like Ronaldo, who really everyone in the stadium is holding their breath because they know, you know, this player could change the game at any moment. They could turn the game on their head. Just watching and feeling the atmosphere on Friday, I feel like everyone's waiting and like, when are they going to feed Justin the ball? Or like, when is he going to get that la- that la- get that last gear running? Because you've got that, you know, that last gear where you can really kind of break away and they're always looking to feed you the ball. Do you feel that same way about yourself? Do you like? Do you have the confidence? I mean, your teammates are you know feeding you the ball all night, and I think everyone in the stadium is watching. Like, okay, could this be that breakaway play? I mean, I definitely like feel like the little bit of like when we do start to like look to go to goal. I feel like obviously like a big weight of that is going to be on myself and even Ruben as our attacking mid, another veteran, and they kind of look to us to help create or enforce that and I mean I don't know like even in UCLA we I had one shot and it happened to be the one that would go in and I just really hope to like stay like in that kind of form where I'm putting my shots on target and just allowing our team to have an attempt on goal. So this is the first time in a while that the team is entering league play with a losing record. What is Samson meant saying? You know, what does the team need to do to make sure you're playing in the NCAA tournament? Uh, I mean, what we've kind of decided and what Samson has told us is, you know what, the past is the past. Like, we have not lost since that road trip. And, I mean, going into our home streak, we tied number 11, beat number 6. Like, we're showing the nation that we are in contention with everyone. And it's just a matter of keeping our stride and, we t- tested out a lot of different things on that road trip, a couple different formations, different new players coming in and rotating. And we've kind of like found out like 
all right, this is our identity. This is how we're going to move forward. And this is the style of play that's going to make us successful. Yeah. There's a lot of people watching the team, including me, who, you know, we're not soccer experts, but there's a bunch of fans out there watching. I think when we watch, we see we see your size and we see your speed. What do you feel your strengths are? Honestly, I feel like, you know, there's going to be people, I might be tall, but there's going to be people that are maybe stronger than me. There's going to be people that are, like, faster than me. Like, even though I have, like, I'd say, like, a decent set of those, I'd say my my biggest strength is just, like, technique and comfortability on the ball. I mean... That's always been, I've always been told, like, for my size, it's really hard to find someone with that kind of, like, a soft touch or just, like, natural ability like that. And I've always considered that to be my biggest strength. You've been working with the Galaxy this summer training. What was that like? I mean, that was awesome. I got to be in the likes of Steven Gerrard, Giovanni Dos Santos, Nigel De Jong, like, huge name players. That so I grew exciting. Up, <laughs> yeah, huge name players that I grew up, like, I couldn't even imagine I was on the same field as Gerrard, like. I think actually the first time I met him, like I went to shake his hand, I spilled my water over because I was like so <laughs> in shock. And I'm, I mean, the level is just incredible there. You see <laughs> Gerard on his off day still being like so incredible with his passes. And you look at, try to compare my touch, like I'm saying that's my best part. And then I compare it with Dos Santos and I'm like, oh, I still got some work to do. But just being in that speed of play, intensity, and professional environment, I think, I think it really attributed to maybe me coming out with a little bit of confidence this season knowing that hey you know that's what their level is but maybe I'm not that far off so what's next I mean LaGrasa I think he's with the Sac Republic and then you have Chase with Columbus Crew I mean he was drafted by them and then Wade's with the Timbers what's next for you what are you hoping for I mean I'm first and foremost all I'm really thinking about is getting the first big west for Cal Poly and that's the biggest thing on my mind and on my plate and hopefully I can help my team succeed and if I'm able to do that and help my team succeed and just conquer that then you know anything can happen and I'm praying for an opportunity to play soccer later down the road but you never know and I just want to try to just keep working hard right now. Justin Dillon senior forward for the Cal Poly Mustangs men's soccer team thanks so much for coming on the show Justin. Yeah thanks for having me Matt. All right we're gonna throw to JB and Nate right now for baseball. Thanks, Matt. And we're back with the uh, Sports Report baseball style. I am with JB, my uh, second man. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm excited to talk some sports. So we're uh, we're talking about baseball specifically. And before we start, we have to talk about Jose Fernandez. He was the Marlins pitcher who tragically passed away. I believe it was early Sunday morning, I believe. Early Sunday morning. It was reported around 3 a.m. that he was out... Uh, on his boat, you know what a player he was. What a what a pitcher. I think he was the most one of the most dynamic pitchers and young stars that we had in today's game. And it was just a tragic loss. Yeah, I, absolutely. Community. I I just loved watching him play. It's just he, the smile he had, especially. Um, I mean, as us on the West Coast, we didn't have that many t- opportunities to see him. But like uh, during the All Star game, him and David Ortiz battling, and he's just smiling entire, the entire time. So. He will definitely be missed, and we definitely uh, will be um, upset by that. But um, baseball's coming up. I mean, baseball playoffs specifically is coming up. Yep. Wild card game next Wednesday. Uh, seasons are wrapping up. Uh, we had three teams clinch the divisions this weekend. I'm pretty uh, pretty excited for my Dodgers, you know, to get out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, win. we're... We're both Dodgers fans out here, but it's pretty uh, epic fashion with, uh, out of all people, Culberson hitting that home run and on Vince Scully's last game. So we're we're definitely excited about that. But on the flip end, because you know we're both SoCal guys and we're in slow, we should talk about the Giants. You know the the NorCal team, and they are currently sitting um, right at the second wild card spot. You know games pending and all that stuff, but right now they are. But how do you do? You think that they're going to make it? I'm kind of worried if I'm a Giants fan. Honestly, the St. Louis Cardinals have been playing relatively well this last week, uh, but they still have, the Giants still have another series against the Dodgers to end the season, and if they don't come away with a series victory, they could be looking uh, outside the bubble to make it into these playoffs. It'd be interesting to see this three-way tie if it happens. Yeah, they, they're, the Giants are definitely struggling, especially just dropping games to the Padres and just stuff like that. 
But, you know, if they make it, then they're they're dangerous. And as a Dodger fan myself, if they make it, I'm a little scared just because of their history. You know, yeah, definitely. That winning tradition that they carry in that clubhouse is unmatched by any other. And I think even as a Dodgers fan, I have to give credit to that starting staff for the Giants. The Cueto's hurt right now, but they roll out Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja, and they can win games if they needed to under pressure. Yeah, really anything could happen, especially with Bumgarner. He's shown that he can just take over like he did against the Royals two years ago, much to my personal sadness or chagrin. But also we have the AL as well. I mean, there's the Blue Jays and the Orioles and the Tigers. The AL feels a lot more wide open than the NL just because it's, you know, it's the Cubs and then everyone else. But I think that the Red Sox are the team to beat in the AL just because of Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. They're really, really fun to watch. Two really good young guys. And I personally had the chance to see them in person because I went to a Dodgers-Red Sox game over the summer. And they just were lights out. And it's just super, super, uh, I, I can't even think of the word. They're just great to Great that, to watch. That young Red Sox team is really fun to watch when you think about it. They have a good young core with, like you mentioned, Xander and Mookie. They got Jackie Bradley Jr. And what a season it's been for David Ortiz. Like, he shouldn't retire playing how well he is. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's funny because he, um, he he's like, yeah, I'm playing so well, but, you know, if I had, you know, your, like, he, I guess he was talking to a younger player. He's like, if I had your body or your feet then I'd keep going. So that's, that's you know, it's just, if his body's done, it's done. But he's still really hitting the ball well. And I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on the Texas Rangers either. Uh, they've been playing very well as of late. They clinched their division on Friday. I think the Rangers are the underdogs in this playoffs. I think they can surprise a lot of people, especially I predicting them in the ALCS against Boston. So you're predicting... Rangers, Red Sox. Yeah, that makes sense because, I mean, the Rangers also have some playoff savviness as well. They um, they made the World Series back in 2011, I believe, against the Cardinals, even though they kind of choked that one away. But it's still great that they made that. I mean, Adrian Beltre is still really good. They have a bunch of good... Hugh uh, Darvish, is, he's an all-star, so they could definitely bring it. And I think the Rangers fans are just... Hungry for that next chance of redemption to make up for that, all that loss that they suffered through when they choked away the World Series. I think Rangers fans in particular are very excited for this postseason, what they can do, especially like you mentioned, you Darvish, Cole Hamels is rolling out there. You know, he's been pitching well this last half of the season. You know, Rangers are looking good, especially in that weak AL, AL West. And what's funny is that no one talked about the Rangers when the season started because everyone's like, oh, Houston Astros, you know, they're good, they're young, they'll make it. But they are currently slotted third in the AL West, so they are not doing as well. So the Rangers just, I I don't know what their record was last year, but they weren't that good, I don't think. No, they were towards the bottom. And I was on that Houston Astros hype train after they played so well in Dallas. Dallas Keuchel went out there and beat the Yankees in that wild card game. I was excited for what they were going to do this year, especially ha- having Carlos Correa for a full year. But they just kind of disappointed along with the Angels and the Mariners in that AL West. So it was really the Rangers' division to lose when you think about it. Yeah, and the Astros, just thinking about that, they were so close of winning that playoff series against the Royals. And then just they just fell apart, I believe. It was like top of the eighth or something like that. They're at home. Then they lost that game, then they lost that series, and then everything just started to fall for them, which is crazy because they still have so many good players like Altuve. It's just really, Jose Altuve is just really, he's just really good. But do you see another batting title coming for Altuve in the future? Oh, yeah. He, I can't even, I don't know his batting uh, average off the top of my head, but he's definitely, I think, above like 350 or something like that. He's just definitely exciting. But, Moving back to the NL, do you think that, as of right now, are the Cubs beatable? I and- think I do think the Cubs are beatable. Uh, they had a couple rough series with the, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Nationals. Uh, those are good, hard games. They 
went into extras against the Nationals back in July uh, against Scherzer and Strasburg. So I do think the Cubs are beatable, but like I said earlier, they're a dangerous, dangerous group of young hitters. Yeah. Rizzo and Bryant just leading the way. Bryant, I, I see contention from Corey Seager to win him uh, for the MVP race, but I, I do have to get tip my cat to uh, Chris Bryant. He's doing really well. Yeah, Chris Bryant definitely um, deserves to win, at least in my opinion as well. But it's funny because the Cubs back in 2008 when they were just they were the hotshot team. Then they just fell in the playoffs to the Dodgers, and that was it. No one really thinks of them as like a godsend team or just an amazing team like we think of the Cubs today, but that was back in 2008. So it's funny because we think that the Cubs this year are just unstoppable and unbeatable, and they have you know great pitchers like Lester, Arietta, even Lackey at the back end, who is a quality 4-5 or five guy. But if they don't win in the playoffs... It means nothing, and we just kind of forget about them. It's funny how regular season we just it just kind of disappears in our minds. You know, just significance of it is just different. Yeah, and another thing to remember: the best team in baseball only wins the World Series about nineteen percent of the time, which is crazy because it's baseball, and you know you have to win five, three games in a series, and you know things can happen as the Cubs. I know the Cubs fans are worried about the curse, and I, I see them. They're, I, I have them shoe-ins for the NLCS, and I'm hoping it's against the Dodgers, and that's going to be a great series. If the Cubs can pull it out and make it to the World Series, I do think it's theirs, though. Yeah, the Cubs will be definite favorites against whoever comes out of that gritty NL wild card, whether it's the Mets, the Giants, or the Cardinals. And what's funny about the Mets is that they're just super banged up. Like, they, it's it's amazing how many um, injuries they have because their top guy, or one of their top guys, DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom, pitcher, he is out for the season. So imagine imagine your favorite baseball team losing their top pitcher and they're still just finding ways to win. I know that they played the Phillies and they're not that good over the weekend, but it's just still quite remarkable how they keep going. Yeah, it was... Quite the blow when the Mets lost to Grom for the season. Noah Syndergaard has been banged up a little bit. Uh, even even a, a couple of their position players, like Wilmer Flores, has been banged up. Jonathan Nice has been banged up as well. It's just it's been kind of unfair to the Mets. They've been squeaking out wins lately. A couple walk offs here and there. They even had one robbed front, uh, by the Cleveland Indians, I believe. When Ioannis almost hit a three-run bomb, but you know, it's going to take a lot for them to make it far in the playoffs. I, I do think it's going to be a struggle for them. Yeah, especially because they just you know they have to face the Cubs, and the Cubs are going to be on a lot of rest, and they're going to be hyped, and they're going to be at home. And if the Cubs somehow lose against the Mets or the Giants or the Cardinals, that would definitely I don't know if that's one of the greater upsets of baseball history, but it definitely should be up there. I would not be surprised if the season ended today and the Giants had to travel to New York to play the Mets for the wild card. I would not be surprised if the Giants come out with the win. It would just it would be just like history has written itself in 2012 and in 2014 where the Giants were the road team and just completely dominated in the playoffs. So that is Scary news for the Mets and Mets fans who are hoping to get another World Series berth out of this out of this team. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle for them. It's it's crazy for the Mets because they were not predicted at all last year to go far. They were a lot of people just thought that the Dodgers would beat them in the playoffs and no one really knew or cared about Daniel Murphy who who's not on the team anymore, which is interesting. But yeah, so if the Mets stumble into the playoffs again, like Baseball playoffs, baseball playoffs is so funny because we really don't know who's going to win. Like, NBA playoffs, we know who's going to make the finals. It's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs. We, we have a very good idea. But baseball, really, anything can happen. It's crazy. And that's what, that's what the fans, you know, that's what they want to see. That's why I think that 
the MLB did a great job by implementing the two wild card teams, even giving another team that necessarily wouldn't have made it in the in the past, you know, a chance to give them that one game playoff. Because, like you said, anything can happen in a baseball game. Anybody could hit a walk off. Anybody can throw a complete game. Uh, it's just really that the thing about baseball is that there's no head-to-head tiebreakers. There's no you know run differential. It's always you guys have to play, and that's what is crazy about play, playoff baseball. Yeah, and and definitely like strategy comes to effect too. Like when the uh, Dodgers, I believe, lost the deciding game against the Mets, they had an issue with the shifting in their infielders, and that allowed a run in. Or when the Giants won in the World Series against the Royals because they put in Bumgarner in the ninth inning, and they knew that he would get it done, even though on short rest. So there's just so many crazy things about baseball, so many little things that can just change, and it's just really quite remarkable how much parity the sport has and how much parity the sport doesn't really get credit for. Exactly. And what I'm personally excited for, especially with these upcoming playoffs as a Dodgers fan, we finally, the Dodgers finally get Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs without so much wear and tear on his arm. You know, usually he goes in with 200-something, 400-something innings under his belt. And this year, after spending so much time on the DL, they'll have the best pitcher in baseball going with little mileage on this season. And it's exciting with the young pitching core that they have with De Leon and Urias to see if they make that playoff roster because they have been pitching well and kind of carrying this team when uh, Kershaw was out and McCarthy and Brett Anderson were all out. Hunjin Ryu didn't even play this year again. So it's exciting to see this pitching staff really carry them and Kershaw's going to lead them in the playoffs. I'm excited for that. Yep, it's just if the Dodgers need pitching – it still is Clayton Kershaw. And when Kershaw went down in, I think, late June, I thought, like, well, of course I was I was upset as a Dodgers fan, but I thought, well, this is, like, some hidden rest he could get. And if the Dodgers could keep it up, which they did, it could really provide um, some relief to them and just so he could, you know, he doesn't, you know, lose it in the sixth inning or like he has in the past. And it, it'd be nice because if it ended today, they won't have to see the Cardinals in the day. Cardinals oh, my God. Yeah, the, the Cardinals are definitely Dodger killers. Um, I don't know who are really Giant killers, but, you know, just, you know, thinking of those Bay Area fans up there. But I think the Giant killers, I think that's just like the regular season because they just they just kind of stump, stumble in, but they are built for the postseason. But their bullpen is still in question. But next week we will have the full, I believe the season ends on Sunday, we will have the full playoff um Team set. We'll have everything ready to go for you. Quick, quickly before we uh, end our end our show here, who do you think? Who would you give the season end awards to? You know, manager of the year, Cy Young, rookie of the year. What are your thoughts on that? Manager of the year. Well, I guess for NL, I'm gonna just just off you know just off the top of my head, I'm gonna just say Joe Madden, just because of what he's done. I I believe he won last year as well, but if I'm if I'm wrong about that, then my apologies, but I believe he does that. And then MVP, I would say Chris Bryant, just because it's it's really the Cubs, you know, division or even the league to lose. So I'm going to just stay with Chris Bryant. And then even though I know these are popular generic picks, but I don't have a doubt about Corey Seager winning Rookie of the Year for the NL. But it's it's still very... It still really doesn't matter until the playoffs. What do you What do you think? I I'm gonna have to agree with you on, on uh, rookie of the year and MVP. I think Dave Roberts wins manager of the year, uh, just with all the things he had to deal with with Puig and having 28 guys on the disabled list this season breaking the MLB. Yeah, record. that was remarkable. Yeah, and on the AL side, uh, I think that Porcello gets the nod at Cy Young, uh, just because he has the the most wins right now of any pitcher. Uh, for manager of the year, I would probably have to go with Blue uh, Jays manager for the Texas Rangers. I, I just I think the Rangers have done a phenomenal job this season. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. 
the manager is um, Jeff Bannister, I believe he. Yes, he was um, under Ron Washington, and he, Washington resigned on the twenty four on in two thousand fourteen, so Bannister joined in. But it yeah, like we said, the Rangers are just quietly good. Yeah, and it's been it's been nice for the MLB to have the Rangers you know be as good as they have been. Gives a nice push to the AL East, which has been so dominant over the years. Um, it just, you know, spreads out spreads out the competition more throughout the MLB. So for um, next week, we will be back with more baseball coverage, more talking about the playoffs. Now everything will be set like we said before. So um, this is the Sports Report, and we'll be right back. Well, it was a great weekend for Cal Poly sports in general, uh, especially with the big wins for soccer and football, but there are also a lot of other teams playing, and Cal Poly's men's golf team this weekend uh, captured their 17th team title with victory in uh, at the Hartford Hawk Invite. You know, I'm always jealous of the golf team. Last year, they are in Hawaii for a tournament. Now they're in Connecticut. You know, these guys get to travel all around the country and play on nice golf courses. Uh, no, it was a great performance by the team. Uh, Justin De Los Santos uh, was the 2015 Big West Conference Individual Champion, and he led the Mustangs in this tournament uh, with a 3-under par 69, finishing with a 5-under par 139 total, uh, tying for 5th place. So, great uh, performance by the Mustangs, capturing their 17th team title this year. Uh, Always jealous of their travels. Yeah, definitely. Very jealous that they get to travel all over the place. Cal Poly women's volleyball team at uh, fell short to number 14 Hawaii in their home opener. Uh, they now drop down to seven and five on the season and zero one in conference play. They'll have to look to bounce back next week against Long Beach State. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't remember. I don't think they've ever beaten Hawaii. It's bad. I mean, it's tough. I mean, at some point, we're going to have on the show this year. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask, you know, whether it's Taylor Nelson, the set, uh, the setter, or, you know, one of the hitters, uh, like Taylor Grunwald. I got to ask him, like, is there a point where it's just enough is enough and you're so frustrated with these losses? You know, what's the difference between a tough loss and a close win? I mean, they won the first set 32 to 30. It was amazing. Um, but after that, they just couldn't hang with Hawaii. Um, you will look forward to having on the show in the next couple weeks, uh, and swimming, uh, Amelia Feek won the queen of the pool for Cal Poly swimming. They played Cal. I mean, let's be real. Uh, Cal absolutely destroyed us in this meet, but there were some great swimmers here for Cal Poly. Um, and Cal's a great program to race against with Olympians like Missy Franklin. Yeah. Um, it's always great to see Cal Poly competing against some of the top programs in the nation. You oh, know, yeah. Cal's up there, Stanford, all those Pac-12 schools. You know, wonderful at swimming. Women's soccer beat Seattle 2-1 to one on Sunday afternoon. Freshman goalkeeper Sophia Brown made 11 saves. Season yeah. high. Good win for the team. You know, I had some of those... Uh... Some of those women soccer players uh, in my uh, physics class earlier told them congrats. <laughs> yeah, they're five and five, five five and one now, and they're gonna open Big West Conference play at home Friday against Hawaii. Yeah, they got to tell the guys to get their act together <laughs> with their two four and one record. Well, uh, you know, are you gonna recap? You want to recap some of the stats for the men's soccer team and the football team? Yeah, why not? So you may know that Cal Poly beat number six UCLA. On Friday evening, 1-0. You know, Justin Dillon with that great score in the first half, and Cal Poly just held him down after that. Um, Moving on to football, Cal Poly beats number 6 Montana, 42-41. Dano Graves, 6 of 10, 157 yards through the air, four total touchdowns. That's a great line. Um... Also, Joe Prothrow running the FCS leader in rushing yards, running 90 yards for 17 attempts. 
and you know they're running wild back there with that triple option running wild and they've got the momentum for the season ah so we're coming through down to the last couple minutes of the show here i i just can't wait for tonight tonight's gonna be fun you know someone in your fantasy leagues got drew Brees. uh i know uh dan over here has already wrapped up his victory but he's got he's got drew tonight and we've got the presidential debate i mean me and my friends, we're looking forward to it. We're I'm I got work. Uh, I'm a water polo referee, refing down at Napomo High School, and then I'm gonna grab some Costco pizzas. Got the big screen on. Gonna watch some Monday night football. Watch Hillary and Trump go at it. I can't wait. It's gonna be a great night. Yeah, you know, I got a meeting for the rugby club at five, but um, after that, you know, me and the boys are gonna go home, put up two screens. We got our big screen watching. You know, Saints and Falcons, and the other, well, Hillary and Trump. We'll see it. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, uh, that's it for the sports report today. Tune in always from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesdays. Uh, we'll, we're looking forward to having some great guests on the show next week. That's it for today. <laughs>